Amen. Amen. This is uh, one of my favorite readings in Scripture, because uh, I think it's funny. Uh, we're continuing just kind of seeing a text after Christmas in this Christmas season, and we come across this, this interesting one. We have Mary and Joseph, and Mary and Joseph have been handpicked by God the Father to be the earthly parents of Jesus, and they hold a position like few others in the Bible. The angel calls Mary highly favored, and it is a title rarely bestowed. We look on the, the, the disciples. Jesus handpicks them, but they are never given the title highly favored. In fact, it looks like just the opposite. Right? Jesus picks them to show that God can use anyone. It doesn't matter, because oftentimes they're clueless. Not so Mary and Joseph. They're special. Mary is, is highly favored. And by extension, Joseph is as well. We look at their, their character and their actions after God has picked them for a very, very challenging assignment. We can tell that they're people of, of great integrity and high character. They are highly favored by God. And they're given a tough task. Raise Jesus. It's tough. Raise the Son of God. Good luck with that. I mean, it'd be a hard thing to do, right? I mean, you've all had, you've had the experience, right, where a kid thinks they're smarter than you are? You know, and you're like, oh, you think you're so smart, you think you know everything, right? And you're like, oh, wait a minute. You do know everything. This is trickier. That's a hard challenge. It's a big task. And yet, you got to think, it's kind of easy being Jesus' parents, right? I mean, what's the main goal as a parent? As a parent, you, you have one goal. My goal was, you know, my dad's goal was to get me out alive. But really the goal is this. To, to raise your child so they fear and love God above all other people and, and love their neighbors as themselves, right? That's really it. That's your goal as a parent. You, you do that, psh, golden. Jesus is already there. You don't have to raise Jesus to do that. That part's done. The hardest part is done. Really, they've got one task. Get him to an adulthood. Don't lose the kid. That's their only task as parents of Jesus. Don't lose them. And what do they do? They lose them. They lose them for three days. That is just phenomenal. I lost a kid at a grocery store, man. I felt bad. They lost him for three days. I lost a kid at Disneyland. I did feel bad for that one. That was not my, my finest moment. They lose him for three days. It's hard to understand. How can you, you, how do you leave town without a kid? Well, in, in those days, uh, they would travel to Jerusalem for these uh, high festival days. And this one was Passover. Big, big feast. Big, big uh, holy day uh, for the Jews. Still is. And in those days, uh, if you lived like in a place like Nazareth... Your local rabbi would, would organize a group to go down to Jerusalem. Hey, who wants to go down to Jerusalem for the Passover? Get a big group together. And in a small little town like Nazareth, a lot of people are related. They're cousins, they're distant relations. They're all together. And so you would travel down to Jerusalem together. And as you got down there, you'd be mixing with other groups that are going down there as well. 
You'd celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem, and then your whole tent group, you'd be in a big campground, tent thing, uh, set up on the Mount of Olives somewhere. You'd get everyone together, and you would go home. And so everyone's packing up, and they're getting ready to leave, and all the cousins, and second cousins, and third cousins, and cousins once removed, and all that good stuff, they're all packing up to go, and you kind of figure the kid is with them. Because where else would he be? And yet we believe. And all the other kids are walking around, and you just kind of figure Jesus is among them. Had a good friend of mine, uh, my friend Glenn Flugey, and uh, he had nine brothers and sisters, uh, which meant they really rarely went on family vacations. But every now and then they would go. They'd, they'd load up the 15-passenger van, and they would go somewhere. And my friend Glenn remembers uh, one time they were in the car, and they, they stopped at the gas station and got gas and went to the bathroom and did all that stuff, hopped back in the van and drove on off. And about a few miles down the road, someone said, hey, where's Hope? They had forgotten his little sister at the gas station. So they had to drive back to the gas station pick up his little sister and there was a kind stranger with her and kind of sitting with her and holding her hand and, and the kind stranger said yeah you know she ran after your van about a good hundred yards <laughs> that's horrible Jesus does not run after the van he's perfectly content where he's at at the temple figure out after settle down for campsite that night, Jesus isn't with this big group. They go back to find him. And Jesus' response tells us everything we need to know about authority and obedience. Because he says this, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? They did not understand what he was saying to them. And he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Authority and obedience. Those are two decidedly un-American words. As Americans, we do not like those two words, authority and obedience. We are a nation built on revolution. That's how we started. One of our classic American texts Civil disobedience by Thoreau. There are no classic American texts on authority and obedience. Good luck finding one. They're not there. <coughs> well, I watched a football game a couple days ago. One of the team's name? The Rebels. That's who we are. I looked around for other team names, found no other team name named the Followers. <laughs> the Obedient Ones. You can find banana slugs. I think it's San Jose banana slugs, right? That's a college football mascot name. But no followers, no obedience, nothing like that. Not in America. There's no way. Who's better, Iron Man or Captain America? Everybody likes Iron Man better. Unless you think Captain America's cute. Then you like Captain America better. Put it this way. Who's better, Han Solo or Luke Skywalker? Like close. We like the rebels. 
And yet scripture often talks about authority and obedience. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard for anyone. But I think for us and our culture, it's particularly challenging. And I think it's so for, for two reasons. And one of them is good. Many of us have a, a drive uh, to lead. Many of us have a drive to use uh, your God-given gifts and talents and abilities and experiences and say, you know what, I can do this. And I'm going to lead. And the way you know if you're a leader is you look behind you. If there's someone following you, congratulations, you are a leader. And many of you have that drive. You're leaders in your families. You're leaders at work. You're leaders in your community. You're leaders here at church. You have those gifts. You say, you know what, I want to lead. Because I can. And I should. And that's a good thing. But there's a dark side uh, to that gift. There's a dark side to the drive. And the dark side is not a, a desire to be a servant leader, but rather a desire to be served. And in those cases, we, we instead of being God's gift to others, we, we'd like to be, well, God's gift. <laughs> we find our identity in status instead of service. It's the dark side of leadership. <clears throat> It's always been like that. Ever since the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, it says this. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Our first sin is not disobedience, but rather it's it's pride. You will be like God. And that's the dark side of leadership. I don't want to follow, I want to be followed. I don't want to serve. I want to to be served. I want to lead. And authority and obedience are not in my vocabulary. So why follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? We say that often. Let's follow Jesus. We sing about it. I have decided to follow Jesus. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to submit yourself to him? I think it means this. First, Jesus is Savior. Uh, to follow Jesus is to, uh, and to paraphrase Coach Dennis Green, he is who he says he is. He he is God in the flesh. He is a Savior. He is the one who died on the cross for you. And so to follow Jesus is to say, you know, I need a Savior. I need someone to take away my sin. Uh, To follow Jesus is to live a life not just of repentance, but of daily repentance. To daily say, Lord God, I, I have failed you in these ways. 
Lord God, I have not been your servant in these areas. Please forgive me. I think that's the first part of following Jesus. The second part is this, is if Jesus, if we follow Jesus, not only is he Savior, Jesus is also Lord. Which means we strive to be like him. So if you're following someone, you, you try to be like that person. So if you follow, let's say, uh, the Broncos, right? You follow the Broncos, and so you have the Bronco jersey because you are following them. It's almost as if you're part of the team. You, you wear the jersey, you've got the Bronco flag, you buy the bumper sticker, you know who, uh, who the best running backs are, who they should be starting, what plays are good. You, you follow the team. You know them really, really well. And to follow Jesus is the same way. You, you know him. As a professor of mine liked to say, because there's 66 books in the Bible, get to know. Know Jesus. And then strive to be like him. Part of that's community. That we're walking together in community. That together, here at worship, and ideally in small groups, that you're walking together with others in community. You're saying, I'm going to encourage you as you follow Jesus. Could you please encourage me? I'm going to support you as you follow Jesus. Could you please support me? I'm going to hold you accountable as you follow Jesus. Could you please hold me accountable? It's community. If Jesus is Lord, then we're also asking this daily. Jesus, what are you up to today? What are you up to today, Jesus? I read a book that recommended that. And I've been doing that on a more regular basis. And I can't tell you how, how eye-opening it, it is. It's incredible. And what I found is this. Is that it's a hard question to ask because Jesus will tell you and will lead you into what he's up to in your life that day. And what you'll find out is this, is that when you're trying to get stuff done for the day, you will check less boxes off your to-do list. And if you're like me, that's very frustrating. I like to check the boxes off. I enjoy checking boxes off. And I do organize my Civil War drawer. It's, it's bad, but I like to check off the boxes. And when you ask that question, Jesus, what are you up to today? You find you check less boxes, but you get more done. At least more of the important stuff. And it happens at home. It happens wherever you happen to be working. It happens in your community. Because Jesus will place people in your life, and you'll say, oh, that's what you're up to. I need to be a part of that. You're calling me here, Jesus. And I will follow. I want to encourage you. Every morning, you're brushing your teeth, combing your hair, just say a quick prayer. Jesus, what are you up to today? Can I be a part of it? 
Here's the cool thing. Following Jesus means that you're not leading. Following Jesus means that, that he's doing the work. And it takes all the pressure off of you. Jesus will get done what he wants done. We're only asking for the privilege to play, be a part of it. To play a role in it. Jesus will do his work. He's God. You're not. Thank you, Lord. He'll do his work. But he invites you to play a role in it. Jesus, what are you up to today? What would you be doing? And how can I be a part of it? I was reading a book on, on basketball about, about teams. And uh, it was a book written by a guy named Bill Simmons. He's interviewing Bill Walton. And Bill Walton says this about teams. He says this. They're discussing how to get the best basketball team. And the theory they're working with is that to get the best basketball team, you don't need the best players. You need the best team. And the trick is to find those players that will subjugate, that will submit themselves for the betterment of the team. And Bill Simmons says it's the secret. It's the secret of basketball. And Bill Walton says, no, it's not that. He goes to this. He goes, it's a choice. He says, can you make the choice that your happiness can come from someone else's success? It's a great way to put it, huh? Can you make the choice that your happiness comes from someone else's success? And here's the cool thing. Jesus Christ has already succeeded for you. He died on the cross for you. He rose from the grave for you. You are forgiven. You are loved. You have an unlimited warranty in life. You have the gift of peace. You have the gift of never being afraid. Because Jesus has gone on ahead of you. You have the gift of security. You don't have to perform. You don't have to reach some certain standard. You are loved and cherished now already. You don't have to wonder who you are. You're God's beloved child. You don't have to fret whether you're a success or a failure. You are God's. You are His. As one author has famously written, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. <laughs> and the serious business of heaven is joy. And as we follow Jesus, God gives joy. Joy of being His. Joy of being loved. Joy of being part of His purposes joy of being forgiven and secure. It's a joy that we can't get anywhere else. Because all those other gifts, they'll come and they'll go. But Jesus Christ, the babe of Bethlehem, lives. And he is, by the grace of God, your Lord and your Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you Thank you that you came 
and that you submitted yourself to, to your earthly parents to marry Joseph. And then you went even further and you submitted yourself to us, Lord God. You died for us. Lord, there are folks here who are exploring what that means, Lord, and I pray that they might know you as, as Savior. Lord, there are more folks here who are exploring what the ramifications of you being Savior means, Lord, and I, I pray that more and more every day we would know you as, as Lord in every aspect of our lives. Lord God, help us to follow because you are Lord and you are Savior. We are yours. Always. Thanks, Jesus. Amen. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord from life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing our praise to Jesus. <laughs> Closing song today, All the Earth.